I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you're listening to The Catherine Zox Show. Joining me today is founder and CEO of My Wellbeing, Alyssa Petersell, LMSW. She's a social worker. America is facing an unprecedented mental health crisis right now. Between people being stuck in lockdown, job uncertainty, racial and political tensions, a lot of Americans are suffering internally. The Federal Emotional Services Hotline has seen a 1,000% increase in calls, and 33% of Americans are reporting they currently feel depressed, with a number of high-profile suicides being reported in the news. While working in outpatient mental health clinics as a social worker, Alyssa Petersell saw that individuals seeking a therapist were overwhelmed by the process of finding one. Peter Sell and her team provide personalized therapist recommendations to those interested in beginning a therapeutic relationship and journey. She's been featured in Forbes, Allure, Thrive, Bloom, and HuffPost. Welcome to the show, Alyssa. Thanks so much. It's great to be here. Well, as a uh, social worker myself, as one of your colleagues, I think like it's such an exciting thing that you're doing. This is something that is so needed even needed before this pandemic, obviously. So let's start with that. How did you get, you know, go from a a mental health professional and literally sort of uh, segue into becoming an entrepreneur? This is an entrepreneurial endeavor. Yeah. Yeah. It's a great (laughs) question. I really appreciate your social work background as well. I think part of what draws people into social work is this dual interest in supporting people and also solving a problem. So I think the combination of that, when I started training as a social worker in in the interest of becoming a therapist, I finally prioritized my own therapist search. I identify as someone who's, you can call it a recovering perfectionist, generally like pretty type A and high performing. And for a long time, I got away with kind of postponing my therapist search when the search process had a lot of friction in it, despite, you know, day-to-day managing what I would call like pretty high levels of anxiety and stress. And it took becoming a therapist. I was like, you know what? I really don't want to be a therapist without ever having had significant experience on the receiving end of therapy. So I went about my search and was really floored by how many loopholes you have to jump through. I know personally I was using various directories and you would put together lists of 10, 20 names, reach out to people by phone or email, and really get lucky if someone responded and even luckier if someone actually had an opening in in a time slot that matched your schedule. So as someone who regularly uses things like Seamless for personalized takeout recommendations and Spotify for personalized playlist recommendations. I just couldn't fathom that there wasn't the technology out there to make this process easier. And when I started working as a therapist, I realized even more so the value add on the clinician side as well, because I found that a lot of clients that were coming to my practice were largely choosing me because of my headshot. You know, you'd go to a directory, you'd look and look and look and scroll, and you'd see that the primary difference or what stands out to people looking for therapy is your headshot. And there's so much about your training and your expertise and your style that's so much more than a picture. And a lot of times I'd want to cross-refer or refer out or receive referrals from colleagues. And that, too, can be pretty emotionally exhausting 
for the client who's sharing, you know, their lifetime story 45 minutes after 45 minutes over and over, but for the clinician as well, who's investing time and energy into the client, wants that client to be a good fit for their practice so they can help them. So all of which to say, about three years ago now, I enrolled in a 10-week business program at NYU, which is where I got my master's degree in social work. So I was eligible for this program that was open for NYU students and alums and learned the foundations of what a startup is, what types of things you need to know, need to think about, what types of resources you need to pull together. And for 10 weeks straight, I did a ton of what's called customer discovery. So I essentially talked to anyone who would talk to me (laughs) about, (laughs) are they interested in therapy? Have they tried to find a therapist? What was that like? What were their pain points? And on the provider side, what was their practice like? What were their pain points? Could they connect with clients easily? Was that a problem for them? For the clients they were working with, did they feel like there was this rapport and chemistry-based fit to what their expertise and skill set was, or did they feel like that could be better? And after that, you wouldn't believe it, but I essentially ran my well-being as a one-woman show, me in a spreadsheet, (laughs) while I was working in, in a group private practice as a clinician, just matching people. People would come to me who wanted to find a therapist. Therapists would come to me who were interested in matching with more compatible clients. And I would match them. And over time, it's over about a year, I started to really learn and digest and formalize what are the factors that were most indicative or most predictive of a pair that would work best together. And then, and you know, and Alyssa, I'm going to stop you because yeah. that is absolutely, uh, I want to actually go through those, you know, the criteria. Yeah. But I'm, when I'm yeah. listening to you and you use the word match, I'm thinking match.com. I mean, that's what they do for oh dating gosh, services. Yeah. You don't just do it. Through, yeah. I mean, yes, the person, you know, they have the picture and the headshot, but there's so many more uh, pieces exactly. to, you know, yeah, why you would choose somebody. So it's kind of like, it's it's the same thing. It makes so much sense. Oh, 100%. And as a, yeah. yeah, and as a therapist, um, I know I've been in therapy. I think anybody who's, who's who is doing mm-hmm. therapy has clients should be in therapy themselves or have been, mm-hmm. and um, even social workers. And I think you've sort of covered mm-hmm. this. Have said, "How do I find a therapist?" I've always gone by how old they are, and mm-hmm. you know, I don't want a twenty-five-year-old uh, if I'm fifty, mm-hmm. or just mm-hmm. you know. Maybe one other criteria, which would be mm-hmm. uh, having to do with the kind of practice they have and, you know, cognitive mm-hmm. therapist, psychoanalyst. And that's about it. And then, as you say, mm-hmm. you go to the person and you waste your time and mm-hmm. money and theirs because it's not a fit because you you, know, you don't have all the information. So my well-being exactly. is such a ter- yeah, terrific idea. So, Thank okay, you. so let's, I, I went on the site and um, obviously and went through all of you know, the process that one goes through. So take us Mm. through that. Yeah. Yeah. So when someone's looking for a therapist, they would come to our site. A lot of people do learn about my well-being from our social media account. And we also recognize that sometimes there's a lot of psychoeducation or just learning and awareness building that goes into whether you take that step into therapy. So we do have a lot of resources that we share, blog posts, things like you're thinking to yourself like, oh, I'm kind of curious. I'm not even sure. Do I quote unquote need therapy? Do I want therapy? Do I want to get started? So 
our social media is often our first touch point with folks where they start familiarizing with what therapy even is. And then when they are ready to find a clinician, they'd come to our site, they'd start what we call our matching form. And through that, they start to share a little bit more about what they're looking for. And I want to put an asterisk there of you don't have to know 1,000% what you're looking for, who it is, what their license is. We've actually taken all of the jargon and acronyms out of the matching process, and we ask guiding questions that are similar to what you just shared, actually. So we do ask, one of the buckets has to do with logistics. So we'd say, you know, when are you available? What fee range can you afford? And we also ask, various different identity questions. So as you mentioned, one is age. You might want someone who's close in age to you. You might want someone who's younger or older for any reason. We ask about racial and ethnic background. We ask about gender. And a lot of these things, even if you don't know, it's totally okay. We ask, we include an option that says no preference throughout. We ask those questions because sometimes those identity elements are really important for you generally around who do you feel like you can be most vulnerable with? Who do you feel like you're most likely to feel like you can approach opening up and really being your whole self and letting some of the guard down that we have to keep up in the world so so often in so many contexts? And I'd say what's most unique about our matching form is we ask about style. And as a social worker, you mentioned that you'd look at, you know, are they an analyst? Are they practicing CBT? I think that we in the mental health field have an advantage to a certain degree of knowing what those things are to some extent. But when we started to do customer discovery in that first 10-week program, we learned that it's not totally surprising. Most people really don't. And that information can be a little bit shaming or a little bit overwhelming to start to look through. and like, ah, I feel like I should know what this is, but I don't. So what we did is we actually broke out different archetypes or different narratives that come from some of those training types that are in more common language. So the first is really, would you want to work with someone who's really goal-oriented? And one example might be you might have tasks between sessions or you might go into the working relationship with a very specific outcome in mind, something you want to improve or something you want to relieve. The second is more relational. So maybe you're wanting to learn more about or improve your relationship with family members or your significant other, coworkers, close friends. And that, that model, the first being loosely based off of something like cognitive behavioral therapy, the second being loosely modeled off of something like a psychodynamic or psychoanalytic form of therapy. And the third is more of a mind-body integration. So that's where things like might you want to integrate breathing exercises or art therapy or do you feel most of your stress in your actual body? So it might be like chest tightness or migraines or headaches. And that might be based off of a somatic experiencing or EMDR, mindfulness-based stress reduction. So instead of, you know, the latter half of all of these kind of chunky clinical words, that maybe you read a blog post or two about, but it's hard to fully understand. We try to break it down. It's like, ah, when you think about things that have been helpful or healing for you in the past, which of these directions has worked for you? And throughout, you can say that you're very interested in all of them. We work with a number of providers who are pretty agile and malleable and eclectic in their approach. Or you can say, I really want this type. I have no interest in these other two. 
And then you'd be likely to be matched with someone who really has more of that dominant practice style. How have uh, you, finally, Alyssa, have, have you to, yeah, been able to decide, you know, in terms of what it's been about three years, 2017? Yeah. Um, so you've had you know, you've been doing this for three years. Have you been able to measure your success or are there any ways to do that? Yeah. Yeah. So, so far we've matched almost 20,000 people, which we're very excited about. And uh, what we learned by some analysis of the data of, you know, what, how outcomes are and duration of therapy treatment, we learned actually by looking at a close study of one of the group practices that we work with that clients who started therapy through my well-being stayed in therapy about 75% longer than clients who started therapy who the practice met in other ways or from other channels. So for us, that's really indicative or a hypothesis around that is really indicative of the match quality that that chemistry and rapport really set up the duo for a, a deeper, longer standing, more fruitful relationship. That said, it's worth noting, you know, some therapy styles are shorter term by nature. So duration of care is not a direct measure of uh, the the effectiveness of care necessarily. It does speak more to that relationship-based style of therapy. Uh, is this, do you do this only been, in New York City? Yeah. Uh, are, you, are you only in New York City or in... Yeah, so right. currently our providers are all based in New York and our matching for therapy is based in New York City. Now we are expanding actually to other geographic markets, so definitely stay tuned for an other markets launch. And we do work with a number of coaches as well. So coaching is able to be matched nationally due to license regulations and state-by-state regulations. Therapy the therapists need to be licensed in the state where the client currently is. So that's just something to keep in mind for those of you who are not in New York. You can reach out and we can help you connect to a coach. And I'm happy to explain more about the difference if helpful. Yeah, and tell us the difference between, because York, many people do not yeah. know the difference between a coach and a therapist or a coach and, yeah. a, and a social worker or a psychologist exactly. or a psychiatrist, actually. You can go down the line. Are you? Yeah. I just have to see. I just want to, you're sort of going in and out a little bit. Can you, are oh. you, yeah. Are you on a is cell? Or are you a, yes. I'm on my cell phone, yeah. Is this better? That's, yes, that's much better. That's good. Oh, good. So I'll, yeah. put, I'll say put here. Okay. Um, so it's a great point, and there are a number of different license types, even within the bucket of therapy alone. So you might see that someone's a social worker or someone has a PhD or a PsyD. We at My Wellbeing work with basically every license type. What I would generally say is uh, this is a little bit of a broad statement, so I always encourage you to ask the actual provider how they would describe their own training and approach and expertise. But usually therapists have gone through some sort of graduate program so social workers have gotten their MSW. If someone is an LMSW, they have gone through the MSW program and then for three years following their program, they're under very close supervision, at which point they can test and pass for their LCSW. So that's the difference there. The, someone who has a PsyD, P-S-Y-D, They've gone through a slightly different program that's a little bit longer that involves a little bit of research and in addition to the hands-on field work 
that is also involved in a social work program, a social work master's. And for people who have a PhD, their program is a little bit longer and their program is heavy in research. So while social workers go through their master's degree and they're pairing coursework with actual a hands-on experience in the field working with clients, those who are going through their PhD, they're pairing coursework with research studies. So they're likely to have completed a thesis and to have really deep expertise on a particular topic that correlates with their thesis. And there's a a slew of other degrees like marriage and family therapists, licensed art therapists, and mental health counselors. So it's worth noting that under the umbrella of therapy, all of these specific degrees are slightly nuanced. And then therapy to coaching. So coaching actually doesn't really have a state-by-state or a national credentialing organization or association. There are various credentialing entities that someone can go through to get formally licensed as a coach. However, there are a lot of coaches who actually are not formally licensed, and they may have had a significant life experience or significant work experience which they are then channeling into their work as a coach. So, so example, in your business, my well-being, in my well-being, how yeah. do you like uh, pick, you know, hone yeah. in on exactly. those coaches who you think are good coaches or by reputation mm-hmm. and how do you pick them? Exactly. So most of the clinicians we're working with, we meet by word of mouth and by recommendation of other clinicians already in our network. And in the onboarding process, every clinician who we work with meets with our, our community manager or another one of our team members internally to get to know their practice. And it's especially true of coaches because for therapists, we also do a license check and we run that the license is in good standing, that the license exists, that there are no pre-existing charges against the clinician. So when there isn't a formal licensing body, can't really run the license, and that's where you essentially meet the person and interpersonally gauge what their experience is, what their professionalism is, responsiveness, things like that. Now, during the pandemic, of course, things have changed, mm-hmm. and I know a lot of therapists, including it said on your website, uh, you don't, mm-hmm. you're not necessarily going into the therapist's office, but you are doing it mm-hmm. online virtually. How how mm-hmm. is that? Yeah, so because then that's a big difference whether you do it on Skype. Or, oh yeah. Zoom or whatever. Yeah. So what, what are you finding? I'm assuming that you have yeah. a lot of people now who are, are doing online uh, counseling yeah. therapy. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a really interesting time. Before COVID, we matched primarily to in-person care, and that's a big reason why we were live primarily in New York. And come COVID, the entirety of the clinicians that we were working with, entirety of the community switched to full remote, full video. And frankly, a lot of our provider network is interested in staying full remote. They're experiencing that the clinical dynamic and the nature of therapy is similar enough to the progress they felt they were making with people in person that they're opting for the geographic accessibility, the timing accessibility. For others, we see that they're interested in doing a blend And a lot is coming from what their clients are telling them. So some clients, a big reason for wanting to go back to the office would be if they don't necessarily have a place in their home or a place in general where they can go to feel like they're completely safe. 
So if they're in a studio and they're sharing that with a significant other or if they're one bedroom with a child and a significant other, they're not feeling like they have a space where they can really have a soundproof area to just be vulnerable and speak from the top of their mind. Then they might want to go back to in-person to have that protected private space. For others, they feel like, hey, I used to have to take a 30-minute subway to get to my therapy session, which added an hour of round-trip time that now I can just hop on the video, have my therapy session, and with that extra hour, I can exercise or I can go to bed earlier, I can spend another hour with my child. So for some, it's a little bit client-driven, and we're seeing that there's a lot of people who are interested in staying full remote, that they're seeing similar efficacy, and on a handful of others who are thinking of a new blended model of keeping some of their practice full remote and some of their practice having the option of going into the office. So, so it's a hybrid. It could be, it sounds like it's going to end up being some kind of a hybrid situation, right? Yeah. If, or, yeah. yeah. One of the things for therapists, I would imagine, if you don't have to, I mean, renting space for an office or uh, it, it yeah, could cut down overhead. on costs, right, for a therapist. Exactly. To, yeah. Exactly. And I'd say one of the biggest issues industry-wide is financial accessibility. And if you think about it, certainly in large urban areas, cost of living and cost of real estate is exorbitant. So it, it drives up costs for the sessions because it drives up the therapist overhead. So if you're able to cut out that overhead, it does also help for financial accessibility that if the cost of each session for the therapist goes down, the cost that they need to charge the client in order to have a sustainable business goes down, which is pretty exciting. Well, talking about costs, what about now you went from being a therapist, a mental health professional, mm-hmm. which, you, uh, which of mm-hmm. course you still are, to entrepreneur, CEO. How do, I mean, how does how that go? I mean, in terms of making money or the cost of, mm-hmm. of uh, hiring my well-being, um, yeah. Talk to us about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I would say I've always been someone who had this fence in my professional identity of macro micro. And I wonder if you relate, actually. During my MSW, I found myself playing a little bit of ping pong in my head of, oh, I really want to do clinical work one on one. Oh, but I also really want to do like high level policy where I can make a really broad impact on some of the systemic issues we're seeing. And I feel like entrepreneurship and my well-being has been a really unique opportunity to blend both, which has been really fulfilling for me. From a financial perspective, it's significantly higher risk and significantly more of a long-term play for financial stability. So in the first year of my well-being, I was effectively working in a private practice and building my well-being, both effectively full-time. So I would say with my social worker hat on, I would not, (laughs) it wasn't the healthiest work-life balance and it definitely wasn't the, I wasn't owning anything for my well-being. So it wasn't the most financially stable. Um, And then I started taking a salary at my well-being about a year and a couple months ago and definitely like on the low end of Essentially, like, what are my living costs and can the business support at the bare minimum? And right now, we're three years in and we're approaching profitability as a business. We kind of flirt with it month over month, but which for us is pretty exceptional. I have a lot of colleagues who are 
years away from profitability, even if it's even on the projections at all. And for us, our goal is that once we hit and surpass profitability, one of our priorities is to start bringing up our administration's salary so that it's more aligned with market rate so that we can start really practicing what we preach, having better work-life boundaries, having better uh, cost of living expenses covered. But all of us have some ownership in the company. So we're essentially investing, I guess you'd call it sweat equity, or we're investing our hard belief in the future of the industry and the future of model BA to say, okay, we're going to actually dive in head first and make a little bit of a sacrifice on something like salary now for the sake of the growth opportunities, the learning, our passion for the industry, and frankly, how much we like working with each other. We're four full-time right now, and it's been a huge blessing to get to work so closely together. There's a number of highs that come with entrepreneurship that are really invaluable, and there's really challenging times, too, and having people who you trust and people whose skills complement yours, who you can soundboard with, is really special. So it's exciting work. We have a couple. We have a couple. We only have like a less than a couple minutes left. So I want you to give us more information. How people can obviously connect with my well-being if uh, they're interested, and um, make sure they have the websites to go to. Absolutely. So if you want to learn more mywellbeing.com, M-Y-W-E-L-L-B-E-I-N-G.com is our website. You can find a therapist through our website. You can also learn more about joining our provider community online. And if you'd like to follow us on social, our handle on Instagram in particular is at findmywellbeing, F-I-N-D-M-Y-W-E-L-L-B-E-I-N-G. And we have a lot of free resources there, tips and tricks, improve your mental health and emotional well-being. And of course, that can also remind you of where to go to find your therapist when you're ready. And I want to say just thank you so much again for having me. It's been a pleasure to chat with you and get to know you a little bit better and to share some more about my well-being. Great. Alyssa Petersell. LMSW and uh, the company. She's the CEO of My Wellbeing. It's it's really it's such an exciting business and project. Um, I wish you the best, and uh, I know there will be a lot of people who will want to connect with you after this show. Awesome! Thank you so much. It's Thank been a you. I'm Catherine Zox, your social worker with a microphone, and you've been listening to the Catherine Zox Show. 